Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Well, every January, millions of people make a list of New Year's resolutions that identify how the year ahead is going to be different. And according to statistics, around 50% of Americans this year made at least one New Year's resolution. If you're here this morning and you made at least one New Year's resolution, would you raise your hand? Lift it high. It's not a sin. Get it up there. Okay. All right. Another statistic tells us that around 80% of those who make a New Year's resolution will fall off the wagon before the second week of February. So I thought it'd be fun this morning to have a little accountability. We are 14 days in to 2018. So if you have already fallen off the wagon, would you stand up so we can pray for you this morning? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions, but what we believe as a church is that the thing that will change your life ultimately is not going to show up on any of the reports for the 2018 New Year's resolution surveys. But it is true nonetheless, and here it is. The greatest single thing you can do to bring about change in your life in 2018 is spend time pursuing God's presence. Here's what we believe as a church according to Scripture. Everything changes in the presence of God. Everything changes in the presence of God. Last Sunday, Pastor Vance made a statement that I thought was incredibly powerful. He said this, the only thing that will sustain us on the mountaintop or in the valley is the abiding presence of God. Not our new diet idea, not the list of books that we're reading this year, not getting more sleep. The only thing that will sustain us this year, whether we are on the mountaintop or in the valley, is the abiding presence of God. As we begin a new year together as a church, we're walking through a teaching series called Awaken. And our desire through this specific series is to focus on pursuing God's presence in two different ways. First of all, we want to pursue God's presence daily as individuals. Last Sunday, Pastor Vance unpacked exactly what that looked like and the reason why it's so significant. So pursuing God's presence as individuals, but secondly in this series, 
We want to talk about pursuing God's presence as a family of faith. And so during our time together this morning, we're going to look at what God's word has to say about pursuing God's presence as a church. So if you have a copy of the Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Revelation? Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. So if you've never turned there before, I encourage you start at the back and just go to the very last book in the New Testament. Now, for a lot of people, they shy away from the book of Revelation because of some of the imagery and mystery that is found within this book of the Bible. And if that's you today, I totally understand where you're coming from. So what I want to do very quickly is give you a summary of the reason the book of Revelation was written. A very simple, concise summary as to why we have the book of Revelation. The purpose of this book is to provide complete assurance that Jesus and his church ultimately triumph over the evils of this world. So everything we read in this book, we need to know the ultimate purpose of it is to clarify that Jesus Christ is the king above every king. He's the Lord above every Lord. And his name is greater than any other name because ultimately he triumphs over the evils of this world. Amen. Amen. This book was written by a man named John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, he is addressing seven churches. Now, when he wrote this book, those seven churches were actually in existence. But what he wrote to them can be applied to any church in any age. So here's what that means. What John wrote to these churches can be applied to Hope Church here in 2018. And the final church, the final of the seven churches that he wrote to was the church of Laodicea. And so we're going to read a passage of scripture this morning that is a part of his address to the church at Laodicea. So look in your Bibles at Revelation chapter 3, and I want to start reading in verse 14. Here's what the scripture says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, which is a key word in this passage, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous 
and repent. And then Jesus says this in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. This address to the church at Laodicea is an intense one. It's a serious address about some concerns with this church. And several weeks ago, as our teaching team was studying this passage of Scripture, there were two things in this passage that just jumped off the page at us that were glaringly obvious. And so as we talk during our time this morning, I want those two things to be the talking points as we seek to understand this passage of Scripture. And here is the first one. Jesus is not with his people. As we read through this passage of scripture, it was obvious that Jesus is speaking from outside the church and he is not among his people. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, there is probably an alarm going off inside of you right now because of what I just said. You may be thinking, Pastor, Do you not remember the last thing Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. Thank you for asking. In Matthew chapter 28, here are the words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. He said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is saying, I'm never going to leave you. And in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is not among his people. How does that reconcile? Well, to reconcile that, we have to understand three realities about the presence of God. Three distinctions when we talk about the presence of God. And here's the first one. The first distinction is the omnipresence. Of God, And here's what that means. God is everywhere all the time in his fullness. The psalmist said, where can I go to escape your presence? The omnipresence of God is everywhere all the time. A second distinction as we talk about the presence of God is this. The indwelling presence of God which means God dwells within every believer. At the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God comes to reside in us as his people. So there is the omnipresence of God. There is the indwelling presence of God. But thirdly, and this is the distinction that is being referred to here in Revelation chapter 3, the manifest presence of God. And that is God making himself known in our midst in a way that is clearly seen, evident, and undeniable. This is God showing up in a very unique way and doing what only God can do. A.W. Tozer made a statement that I think is very clarifying in thinking about the presence of God. He said this, The presence of God and the manifestation of the presence of God are not the same. There can be one without the other. And in the context we're reading here in Revelation chapter 3, 
Jesus' manifest presence is not among his people. He is speaking to them from outside of the church, which in my mind begs a very serious question. And it's this, what keeps God from manifesting his presence among his people? If he is omnipresent, he is everywhere all the time, and we are indwelt by his Holy Spirit, what is it that would hinder or stop his manifest presence from being clearly evident among his people? Well, in verse 16, John writes a very powerful word, and it's the word lukewarm. When Jesus describes this church, he describes them as being lukewarm. But to really understand the weightiness and the significance of that word, we have to understand the context of Laodicea. You see, 10 miles from the city of Laodicea was a city called Colossae. And that city was known for its cold, pure water. So that was 10 miles to the west. Six miles to the north of Laodicea was a city called Hierapolis, known for its therapeutic hot springs. So to the west, you have pure cold water. To the north, you have therapeutic hot water. And the water that was piped in through aqueducts to Laodicea was neither of those. It was lukewarm water. So the common complaint in Laodicea when it came to the water was this. Well, it's not pure like Colossae, and it's not hot like Herapolis. It's just lukewarm, and its condition is useless. So when John wrote the word lukewarm to this church in Revelation chapter 3, he was absolutely speaking their language. Because he was saying, Laodicea, in the same way that your lukewarm water dissatisfies you, your lukewarm hearts to the things of God are dissatisfying to him. So you see the significance there of John choosing to use this word lukewarm. So let me bring us back to the question. What is it that would hinder or stop God from manifesting his presence among his people. Well, out of these verses, I want to share with you a few signs of a lukewarm church. Three signs that a church is lukewarm, and here's the first one. When there is no anticipation to meet with God. When there is no anticipation to meet with God, I believe that is a symptom or a sign that a church is lukewarm. He said it there in verse 16. You're just, you're kind of numb. There's no extreme about you. You're just right in the middle and it's dissatisfying to me. As the people of God, there should be an excitement about being in God's presence with his people. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 122. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
I believe that describes someone who has an anticipation or an excitement about being in God's presence with God's people. You see, there's a difference in someone who would say, Pastor, I'm here because it's Sunday and I'm supposed to be here. Versus someone who would say, Pastor, I'm here and I am ready to worship. And I'm ready to meet with the living God. I believe when we show up with a sense of anticipation that is attractive to our Heavenly Father and shows Him, God, we are ready to meet with you. I'm sure we can all relate with the struggle of coming on a church campus, and I'm sure you can relate with this, and this, this desire we have to flip a switch. And we flip a switch because we want to portray a certain lifestyle or attitude. And things may be horrible in the car on the way here, but when we step on this campus, things could not be better. Listen, that's a lie. And I don't believe that's honoring to Jesus. Here's what I believe. That when we come on this campus, excited and anticipating a time of public worship, it should simply be the overflow of the private worship that is happening between us and our Heavenly Father on a moment-by-moment basis. You see, when your private worship is in the right place and it overflows into a gathering like this of public worship, there is no need to flip a switch because there is an anticipation to gather with other believers in order to pursue God's presence together. But I believe when there's no anticipation to meet with God, that's a symptom of a church that is lukewarm. A second sign that a church is lukewarm is this, when there is no desperation for God. No anticipation to meet with God, and secondly, no desperation for God. The church of Laodicea had an attitude of self Sufficiency. Their success had created a false sense of security and they felt that they didn't need God. They're quoted in this passage of saying, We're rich, we're wealthy, and we're in need of nothing. Now, think about that statement in contrast with the words of Jesus in John chapter 15 and verse 5. Jesus said, Apart from me, you can't do anything, you can do nothing. And here in these verses, the church is saying, we're in need of nothing. I don't know how that lands on you, but that's terrifying to me. To think about how many days in my life that I've sought to engage in God's activity or be a part of his kingdom work. But because I did it out of my own resources, it has no eternal significance. How much nothing have we spent our time doing? Because it was a front to appease the people around us versus something that was created through the Holy Spirit of God for us to join in his eternal kingdom activity. This church felt that they had no need of God. I'm reading a book right now called Spirit Rising by a pastor named Jim Cimbala. If you've not finished your 2018 reading list yet, I would encourage you to pick this up. It's a good book. 
And there's a portion in this book where he's talking about the nation of Israel and how they had reached a point because of their actions and attitudes that the blessing and presence of God had left them, but they didn't care. There was a numbness about them, a lack of sensitivity to the Spirit. So God's hand, his favor, his blessing had left them, and they really didn't care. They were continuing on with business as usual, apart from God's manifest presence among them. And he asked the question about, could that happen today? In our church services and our strategies and all those things. And I want to read you just a portion of something he writes in this book. He said this, could this happen today? Hymns and praise choruses are sung. A sound doctrinal sermon is preached. Our church services are timed and orchestrated perfectly. Too often, however, there is little of the presence of God that produces all conviction of sin, overflowing joy, and life-transforming ministry. And then he says this, we can easily settle for church instead of God. That's a convicting statement. It's one thing to read the words of Revelation chapter 3 and say, well, you guys should know better. It's different to look at my own life and reflect on how much of my life really is lived in complete desperation for the living God. Are we content as a church to simply attend services out of obligation Or do we recognize our great need to be in the presence of God in community with others? You see, the aim every Sunday when we gather here is not just to say we've been to church. The aim for us is to pursue God's presence together. Here's a third sign that a church is lukewarm. When there is no expectation for God. Contextually, Laodicea was known for wealth, clothing, and medical achievements. And they were really proud of those things. But it's interesting that in verse 18, those are the very things that Jesus says, you need to buy these from me. You see, the church at Laodicea thought because they had all those things, they were good. And the expectation of what God could do or what he could provide or what he could lavish on them, did not exist. There was no expectation for God to move or provide because they thought they had riches, they had covering, and they had knowledge. But Jesus says here in verse 18, he says, listen, I offer riches that are better. Mine are the true riches of salvation. I offer a covering that is better. It's the covering of righteousness. And I offer knowledge through spiritual sight that will help you understand the truth. They had no expectation. There was no one within that church that was showing up to the gatherings and saying, what is God going to do today that only he can do? So I hope as we glean from the pages of scripture that it's a challenge for us to say, Lord, I want to, I want to gather with other believers in anticipation of meeting with you. In desperation because I need to meet with you. And with an expectancy 
that you may do something that is not even on the radar and that's okay because you're our God and we are your people. So that was the first thing in these, this passage that just jumped off the page. Jesus is not with his people and that's why, because they were lukewarm. But here's the second thing that jumped off the page that's very significant about this passage. Jesus is longing to be with his people. He's speaking from outside the church, but what's on his heart is a desire to be with his people. Despite their pride, Jesus still had a longing to manifest his presence among his people. And he closes this passage by expressing that desire, specifically in verse 20. There are several phrases in verse 20 that are just unbelievable from the heart of God. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. Here's what he's saying. I want your attention. I want you to give me your attention. And then he says, if anyone hears my voice, he not only wants our attention, he desires to speak to us. And then he says, if I'm invited, I will come in. He desires fellowship with us as his people. So here's what that means. Every moment when we gather, God is standing ready to manifest his presence. If we don't experience his manifest presence, it's not on him, it's on us. Every time the people of God gather together, he is always standing ready to manifest his presence among his people. That means at this very moment, God is knocking, desiring our attention. He's speaking, desiring for us to listen to him. And he's inviting. He is desiring fellowship with his people. And so to conclude this morning, here's what I want to do. Out of verse 19, I want to share with you two ways to evaluate. If we are coming to this gathering on a weekly basis with the right heart attitude and perspective. He says two things in verse 19 that are our commands for us. He says, first of all, be zealous. And then he says, repent. When he says be zealous, he's saying to be focused on what really matters and be hungry for the things of God. He's saying this, make sure your heart is ready. So here's a new question that I want us to begin asking as we prepare to worship every week. Is my heart ready? Am I focused on the things that really matter? And is there a hunger and thirst for righteousness that is stirring inside of me? Is my heart ready? Here's a great example. When you walked in today, as you left your home and came to this campus, was your heart ready? Were you focused on the things that really matter? And was there a hunger and thirst inside of you for righteousness? Or did you just rush in because it's Sunday and that's what you do? Andrew Murray made this statement. 
He said, much worship is even among believers, not in the spirit. In private, family, and public worship, many hastily enter into God's presence in the power of the flesh with little or no waiting for the spirit to lift us heavenward. It is only the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that equips us for acceptable worship. So I want to challenge you. As you prepare for next week, and next week's a great one, as we're going to have multiple uh, unique experiences. Let's ensure that our heart is ready to gather with God's people and pursue his presence together. So he says, be zealous. The second thing he says is repent. Repentance means turning from sin and a change of behavior. It involves returning to God, forsaking sin, and a fresh surrender to his lordship. Henry Blackaby made this statement. You cannot continue to practice sin and simultaneously experience spiritual renewal. I believe as we look at the churches around the world that see the movement of God taking place in their communities, in their cities, and in their regions, it is churches in those places that take sin seriously and are quick to confess those to the Lord. I believe that if we truly embrace what the Bible says about sin, we will not continue to be insensitive to the known sin in our lives. So here's a second question I want to encourage you to begin asking as you prepare for worship. Are my hands clean? Are my hands clean? Is there anything that the Spirit of God has identified in my life that is sin? that is outside of the will of God that I need to repent of, turn away from, and make a fresh surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Are my hands clean? Two questions. Is my heart ready? Are my hands clean? Can you imagine if every person showed up next Sunday and they were able to say with conviction... My heart is ready. My hands are clean. How might God move among us if we took serious the opportunity to prepare our hearts for worship and to search ourselves for any known sin that we need to turn away from and run to the Lord? May that be our desire as we prepare for next Sunday and what God might do among us because everything changes in the presence of God. Let me invite you to bow your head this morning. We're gonna take some time now as we do every Sunday to respond to the voice of God. I don't know how God is speaking to you today. I don't know how he's leading you today. But this is a moment to be sensitive to his spirit.
Our musicians are going to come, and in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of response. But as you just sit there before the Lord, what is God saying to you? Is there something about your attitude towards pursuing his presence with other believers that needs to change? As you approach your small group, as you approach this gathering, is there an anticipation to meet with him? Is there a desperation to be in God's presence? And are you expectant of what he may do? Or have you found yourself in a place that you're just coming to church because it's Sunday? Maybe during this time at your seat, maybe you want to come to this altar on these steps up here. Maybe you want to pray with a pastor and just say, I need a heart change. Because when I walked in this morning, my heart was not ready and my hands were not clean. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize right now that you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Listen, God loves you. And he made that known by sending his son. The Bible says that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has invited us into a relationship through his son, Jesus. If you're here today and you know that you need Jesus, in just a moment when we stand, we're gonna have some pastors here at the front. All you have to do is walk up to one of us and simply say, I need Jesus. And we would love to show you from the Bible how you can be born again into a relationship with God. For others of us, maybe there is a family situation or a health situation, a job situation, a financial situation, and you would just love, before you leave today, for somebody to pray for you. We'd be honored to pray for you during this time. So Lord, continue to draw us close. Continue to speak. Lord, thank you for your word, the way it challenges us. God, I pray as you lead us in these moments that we would respond in obedience. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.